Good morning, everyone. Welcome into this SEC Morning Report. It is Monday, November 27th, SEC Championship Week. We have made it through a regular season that had its ups and downs for SEC teams, and we're going to be going through everything we learned, not only this week, but a little bit about the season for some of these teams that uh, now find themselves in bowl mode or find themselves in off-season mode. Um, as some did not reach bowl eligibility. So we'll be breaking down everything that we learned on this Monday morning episode of the SEC Morning Report. Thank you for tuning in. Hit that like button, subscribe, turn on notification if you feel all of that is warranted. And we greatly appreciate you tuning in to Southeastern 14 here for your daily SEC sports coverage. Chris Lee. Blake Lovell, they all they have you covered for all of your SEC basketball. We've got the Alabama and Georgia preview and prediction coming out later today. So there is a lot going on here on the channel. So make sure you are a part of it here, whether as a member or just free subscriber, however you would like to be a part of it. We would love to have you join us. Now, also, guys, we want to let you know that before we get into what we learned about each team that you need to know about bet online guys bet online during this holiday season now that it's off and rolling the NFL is in full stride the NBA and NHL are hitting midseason form and bet online is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info with up to the minute sports wagering news odds trends and predictions bet online is the top spot for every pro and amateur sport but hey what's the difference now right with NIL? And now, not just the big four, guys. Bet Online has every available sport there at your fingertips on desktop and mobile access at any time. Guys, for everything from MMA to international soccer, uh, only thing I don't think they have on there is like international pickleball, but I'm sure that's coming one day. Uh, head to Bet Online today and remember to use our promo code as we're part of the Believe Network here. We have a working relationship with the Believe Network. The promo code is Believe that's B L E A V, all caps B L E A V for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And guys, we usually go in alphabetical order, um, but we'll save uh, Alabama and Georgia for last since they are going to be playing each other in the SEC championship game. So we'll skip over them for the time being and go to the programs that. Now their regular season has come to the end, and they will be approaching uh, either bowl game prep or did not make a bowl game this year. A team that did not make a bowl game would be Arkansas. The Arkansas Razorbacks, uh, they elected to not make a change at head coach. Sam Pittman will return. Uh, they are trying to finalize who their offensive coordinator is going to be. There's some speculation that Buster Faulkner, a guy who spent some time at Georgia, uh, there under Todd Munkin and worked with Mike Bobo and and all these guys and then now has had a very successful year at Georgia Tech as the offensive coordinator this past year and actually just gave Georgia some fits there uh, in this past game that he could be a candidate over there of course Sam Pittman with his ties to the University of Georgia from being the offensive line coach there before uh, he took the head coaching job at Arkansas. Listen, we all know that 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 last game that they played on Friday 
really not indicative, I don't think, of who Arkansas is, especially without K.J. Jefferson uh, being available. They just totally fell apart. Uh, Jacoby Criswell couldn't couldn't really do anything. Uh, Arkansas couldn't move the ball. Um, so that kind of was indicative of their year in terms of the offensive line and not being able to produce. Rocket Sanders wasn't there. Listen, Arkansas is not a program that can afford those type of injuries that throughout a season, Rocket Sanders hurt all year, K.J. Jefferson, uh, you know, being banged up, having an offensive line that wasn't quite up to the the standard that Sam Pittman likes to have there. There's a lot of different things uh, that went on that I think you have to look at and you have to say, okay, you got to get better in a hurry, whether it is through the portal, uh, whether it is high school recruiting, I mean, developing guys, there, this is a huge offseason for Sam Pittman and company. And I think what we learned is that, hey, this is this is it. He's on thin ice. You got to go out and you got to produce in 2024, especially after that kind of result. And they really need to do a couple of things. They need to get better uh, along the line of scrimmage on, on the offensive side for sure. And they need to get more weapons on the perimeter Probably find a trigger man. I don't know that KJ Jefferson. It depends on what's happening with that knee. Um, if he if he has messed up his knee, who knows if he wants to rehab and come back, and how that would affect draft stock and all that kind of thing. So we'll learn more about the quarterback position going forward. I, I think we learned that Jacoby Criswell is not going to be the guy. Uh, I don't think that he's um, going to be the person that you see take over for KJ Jefferson. So. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see who the offensive coordinator is um, at Arkansas going forward and also who the quarterback will be next year there in Fayetteville. Auburn. I think what we learned about Auburn is Auburn is ahead of schedule. Uh, and and people are going to say, what? They just lost to New Mexico State. Yeah, I know. I know they lost to New Mexico State before they played Alabama, but if you saw the way that Auburn played in those two rivalry games this year with Georgia and with Alabama and how big the talent gap was, guys, in terms of the on the perimeter, on certain certain skill positions, even times offensive and defensive line, guys, huge talent gap with what Brian Harson left Hugh Freeze to take over there and what Georgia and Alabama have, and yet he took both of them to the brink, uh, Auburn did. I think that, you know, Hugh Freeze is going to recruit very well, and I think he's going to get Auburn back to being a, uh, you know, contender in the in the SEC sooner rather than later. Um, yeah, there's been – there was some some bad moments there, and their passing game was pretty awful. And you got to say, hey, they were – competitive in some really big games without having basically any competent passing game whatsoever. So I think that is a that's a big deal uh going forward. This offseason is going to be huge. They do get a bowl game here so they get more practices and things like that, develop some young guys. But I think Auburn, uh all things considered, the train wreck that Hugh Freeze took over there um for Brian Harson and all that that chaos that ensued in that previous tenure before him, I think Auburn is actually ahead of schedule at this point. A team that I do not think is ahead of schedule is Florida. Uh, the Florida Gators, Billy Napier, I think he got out coached by Mike Norvell. I think we saw that 
once again, this this roster is not talented enough to overcome mistakes, to overcome a little bit of adversity. And like I said, those the the skill positions, much like at Auburn, at Florida, the skill positions just aren't talented enough and aren't up to the standard that Florida typically recruits at. And people can say that Dan Mullen didn't leave Billy Napier in a good position and, and he didn't recruit well high school-wise and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, there's I see that to a certain extent. But you're going into year three, okay, as, as Billy Napier as, as Florida's head coach. But you're going into year three if you're Billy Napier as Florida's head coach. And I don't see any reason why he's not able to have brought in more talent that can produce quicker for Florida. I don't see any reason why. Now, this schedule is going to be absolutely brutal in 2024. So was this a deal where the administration's like, hey, we don't want to just you know, can the guy right now to bring in a new head coach who's going to have to deal with some attrition on the roster. If, if the old head coach leaves, the portal opens up, uh, people, the, the talent they, they do have there leaves. And then, you know, you got to face just a murderous schedule in 2024 with a new head coach and set them up for a rough first year. Or was this, hey, we still believe in Billy. We want to see him do well going forward. But just like Sam Pittman, Billy Napier is up against it in 2024. It is put up or shut up time when it comes to the Florida Gators. Um, I think they have to produce. You didn't make a bowl game. Uh, and that is, at the very least, a tremendous failure and, and falling way short of Florida's standards. Like I said, once you've tasted, you know, multiple national championships in the BCS era, uh, once you've, you know, been a part of the run that, that Spurrier had, uh, that Urban Meyer had, that there's just there's just no turning back as a as a fan base. The, the expectations are not going to go down. The temperature is not going to go down. Okay, it, it it is there. The standard is set, and everybody is going to be looking to get back to that standard. And you know that when you take the Florida job, you know that. Uh, I've had a uh, somebody in my church tell me, "Hey, the secret to life is managing expectations." Well, the expectations at Florida are way higher, way higher than what the reality with the talent of that roster is right now. So that is not managing expectations well. Uh, I think Billy Napier's tried to temper everybody and be like, "Hey, we got a long way to go to build some things. We expect to win, but there, we got we we got to do X, Y, and Z." And I think there were some things last off season with the Jaden Rashada stuff, with the NIL stuff, the left hand not knowing what the right hand's doing, all that kind of all those kind of things that have you know thwarted the the growth of this program a little bit. And we'll see where it goes going forward. And like I said, we are skipping over uh, Alabama and Georgia to start with. We'll get to them at the end because um, they are playing in the SEC championship this week. So that moves us from Florida to Kentucky. Uh, we learned that Kentucky should be thankful uh, for Mark Stoops. Uh, one, he's been tremendously consistent. He's done a great job. He's, he's long tenured there, and he was out the door going to Texas A&M, and there was some kind of you know revolt with the fan base, the Board of Regents, some boosters uh, ended up, you know, nixing that deal kind of after midnight on on uh, on Sunday morning. And he was apparently going to Texas A&M. Now, there's there's stories coming out on the Kentucky side saying that he, you know, thought about it 
had kind of agreed to uh, with Ross Bjork to to take the job, but um, then got to talking to people there at Kentucky and and you know found out his heart was still at Kentucky and wanted to stay and all this kind of stuff. Who knows? Uh, I don't know that that's the necessarily the case. Um, I think it was probably more of the scenario of hey, these these Texas A&M rogue boosters and board of regents people they wanted to make the call they wanted it to be their guy and they didn't want Mark Stoops and there was a revolt by the fans so that gave them the ammunition they needed to say no we don't want to go along with this and it was a it was a drama cycle and then now you basically get. Mark Stoops 2.0 and Mike Elko, I think he's basically the same coach. Uh, you know, the two defensive, defensive-oriented coaches that are going to build a strong culture, build a, a program that that is going to uh, do things do things the right way, going to play hard and 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 going to play uh, tough defensively, build build at the line of scrimmages, develop guys up front, all that kind of stuff. Um, this is just simply that you know the Texas A&M Board of Regents gets the guy that they want. Uh, and that, so Kentucky, from this standpoint for Kentucky, now what can you help uh, What can you help Mark Stoops go out and do? He talked about the NIL situation. Um, you know, they, they obviously give basketball tremendous amounts of support in that ath- athletic you know, department, the administration, all that kind of stuff. Can Kentucky take a next step forward, or is this just hey one more year of Mark Stoops, and then when the right job opens up, he's going to be he's going to be gone? I do think that they have to develop offensively. I don't think Devin Leary was anywhere near what anybody expected him to be. I think Dane Key and uh, Tavion Robinson, Barry and Brown were largely disappointing this year. I think we saw glimpses of what they could have been against Louisville. Um, and had a you know top ten win there on the road, but it just I think goes to show that you know people want to bring out oh well the SEC didn't do good against the ACC and all this kind of stuff this year, yeah. So they were six and four, but I tell you programs like Kentucky, uh, they if they were in the ACC, I think we see that hey they're they're a top top tier program over there. If they if uh, Missouri goes to the Big 12 or things like that. I think they're right there fighting for a conference championship. I think that we see the difference in some of these conferences, especially when it comes to, you know, after a, a year, uh, a full season of football getting towards the end, um, what the talent difference is, what the what the execution is. And I think you saw a different-looking Kentucky offense. We'll see uh, what they look like in their, in their bowl game uh, as they finish 7-5 and five on the year. And we'll see what bowl they're headed to, um, and then also see what the situation is. I, I think I don't know what Devin Leary would decide to do. I'm sure he's got another year of eligibility because of COVID. It seems like everybody does. So we'll see what the what the deal is there. But there's already a couple of names that are that you know as this portal window opens up uh, December fourth that we could see you know pop up and and be on the radar some names that uh are on current rosters right now that that you are probably familiar with and we'll get closer to that cut when we get to our portal coverage uh but there's already a couple guys that when that that transfer hunt they're looking at hey Kentucky could be a good landing spot I could go there and 
and uh, you know, end up having some success. And we'll see what happens with Devin Leary and, and some of those other pieces on that Kentucky offense moving forward. They need to recruit well. They need to uh, hit the portal hard and see if they can make up some ground on some of the more elite programs in the SEC going forward. LSU, we just continue to learn that, boy, did they waste a generational-type offense. And I say generational because you had two of them, 2019 and now 2023 at LSU, that are, you know, sometimes you go 30, 40 years and don't see offenses that productive. You go look at the yardage, the numbers, the touchdowns, all that kind of stuff. They were done in a little bit different ways, but tremendous, tremendous work, uh, you know, under the leadership of Joe Burrow in 2019 and Jaden Daniels in 2023. I think that uh, Jaden Daniels should win the Heisman Trophy. You go look at what he did against Texas A&M this past week, and some of those runs that he made were just absolutely electric. He has such great acceleration, has a great feel for just making those plays when those plays are needed. Uh, and who knows where this team would be without Jaden Daniels. I think he's the most valuable player to his team. I think he uh, is – has been the best player in college football this year. You go look at, at his his completion percentage. You go look at the the uh, just amount of touchdowns that that he's accounted for. Um, and that defense was so bad for LSU this year, just so uh, pitifully underwhelming that he had to overcome a lot. And there was a lot of possessions that were just pressure packed possessions. He had to know, he knew he had to go down and score almost every single drive to keep them in certain games. And if Jaden Daniels is not the quarterback, I know Garrett Nussmeyer, uh, you know, can, can acquit himself pretty well and is going to do well for LSU, I think next year. But when you're talking about this, if Jaden Daniels is not the quarterback, this could be a, a six and six ball team. I mean, there were, there were, uh, games that they could have lost of uh, that Missouri game for sure. And, and a couple more that it's like, man, uh, they just couldn't stop anybody. And he had to go down and make it happen on offense to make it work. So Jaden Daniels um, and LSU just tip of the cap to them with the offense, because it was absolutely amazing this year. And, you know, the defense just left a lot to be desired. And you got to answer yourself or got to ask yourself the question, why was that? If you're Brian Kelly, you're supposed to have been really, really good up front defensively. They didn't get a lot of pressure. Uh, they they allowed the, – the back end was a mess at times, allowing a lot of big plays, um, having to play a lot of freshmen and things like that. So they've had to portal in a lot of guys the last two years on that secondary. Can they develop some talent with within from within? Uh, does high school recruiting, you know, take a, a little bit of a leap uh, forward for them on the defensive side of the ball. Who knows uh, what that's going to look like here for Brian Kelly. I don't think I don't know if Matt House is going to be the answer going forward. We'll find that, that out, I'm sure, at some point here soon. So LSU uh, wasted a generational offense, in my opinion. Mississippi State, they got a new head coach in Jeff Levy, and I think this is a great move uh, for one reason. When you're at a place like Starkville, like Mississippi State, you don't have all the resources and all the talent that a lot of other SEC programs have. So what one thing that if you can't be just straight up better than them going toe-to-toe and you don't want to be worse than them going toe-to-toe, then one thing you have to do is you have to be different then. We saw Dan Mullen. We saw Mike Leach have success there. And the one reason we saw them have success there is because 
we saw them be different then. They were offensive innovators, and Jeff Lebby is an offensive innovator. He's going to take the things that he learned under uh, Lane Kiffin, uh, the things that he's done at Oklahoma, and he's going to bring them to Mississippi State. And I think that gives them an opportunity maybe even to keep uh, Will Rogers. Who knows? He entered the transfer portal. We'll see if, if uh, he's willing to stay with Lebby coming in. Uh, does somebody who, you know, that's – maybe been to Oklahoma or been recruited by Oklahoma, do they come aboard and, and decide to to move in? Do they get a transfer portal guy uh, that will fit well in that system? Who knows? Um, but Jeff Levy is definitely different. He's definitely a guy who's going to be innovative, and I think he's exactly what Mississippi State needs after the Zach Arnett experiment there. And listen, Zach Arnett, I just think, was in a tough spot all along. Um, Mississippi State uh, played played hard in that in that Egg Bowl, um, but at the end of the day, uh, I think this is a good move for Mississippi State. I think he'll bring some excitement, um, but nevertheless, there still needs to be more support there in that Mississippi State program. You got to support with NIL. You got to support um, if you're the administration and go out and and build upon things that you can have a modicum of success there. You just have to, um, like I said. You have to be unique, you have to be creative, and you have to land on a couple guys in the portal um, that maybe didn't have so, the, the amount of success elsewhere that you believe in. And I think Jeff Levy has the ability to do that. He's seen Lane Kiffin do it, and uh, we'll see how things how things end up. The Missouri Tigers, they said rivalry game, my butt. They went into Fayetteville and just laid the smack down on Arkansas, uh, just absolutely dominating performance. Cody Schrader continues to show that he's one of the more valuable players in the entire country, uh, just a tremendous season that he had. I think we saw so much growth this year out of Eli Drinkwitz and that staff, bringing on Kirby Moore, allowing him to take over the play calling duties, and then Kirby, uh, excuse me, Brady Cook, Luther Burden continued to do tremendous things. That scheme is is tough. Uh, it's tough to stop when you get the the outside outside zone that stretch play, and then you get some of the the fly motion stuff that they do, and then they're able to take their shots downfield. I mean, they just do a really good job of setting their players up for success. Uh, Brady Cook played at a tremendously high level this year. Ten wins, ten wins in the SEC. That is a that is a tough thing to do, and I think uh, a big big. Tip of the cap to Eli Drinkwitz uh, and and his staff there for how much they they have grown and how much they have been able to uh, get this program to buy in and believe. Now the question is: Is there another gear for Missouri? Um, they they lost a game at home to LSU. They lost a game on the road to Georgia, uh, and otherwise they're right there in that college football playoff uh, conversation. But my question is, have they hit their ceiling or is their ability to to use this as a springboard and go forward? People are going to say Missouri is recruiting at its all-time you know, highest level and things of that nature, and that there's going to be some a big influx of talent come in and things like that. And, yes, to a certain extent, that's true. But there's also other teams coming into the SEC. The schedule is going to get even more, more crowded with Blue Bud programs. So it's going to – this is a, a great year, but the true measure of greatness is consistency. Now can Missouri follow it up next year? That'll be what will be interesting to see out of Eli Drinkwitz and company. They're going to get a New Year's Six Bowl game. 
uh, and they're going to get a chance to be on a national stage and help themselves even more in recruiting wise. A lot of eyeballs on you in those big bowl games. So we'll see what happens with Missouri in this bowl season, in the off season, as signing day approaches. A lot of big things coming up for Missouri in the next uh, couple of weeks. Ole Miss. Uh, when you talk about Lane Kiffin and company, they won the Egg Bowl, something they didn't do last year, um, and they're just a they're just a a solid football program. I think when you're talking about Lane Kiffin and you're talking about the uh, the the SEC West, uh, which now we are no longer in the division era, now we're officially um, out of divisions and we're moving on to just one big league of 16 teams. But I think Lane Kiffin, during the the last couple of years of this division era, has done an excellent job of just showing that hey, Ole Miss can compete. Uh, Ole Miss can build a a formidable program, um, but they just have to they, they, like like Missouri. Have they hit their ceiling? Is there? That's why I think people that speculate all the time that that, hey, uh, you know, Lane Kiffin's going to go somewhere else or he's mentioned for job after job as they come open. But uh, a 10-2 and two season here for Ole Miss, another 10-win year. So you've got Missouri and Ole Miss that are both kind of in the same boat. What does it take to get to that next level? So you have Ole Miss now under Lane Kiffin that's had a couple of seasons where they've won 10 games in the regular season, which hasn't happened at Ole Miss before you got. And they've won 10 games before, but it's been with – with a bowl game uh, added on top of it. So in the regular season, getting 10 wins, you know, losing to Georgia and losing to Alabama, uh, one in blowout fashion to Georgia, one in close fashion there to Alabama, you know, is there that next gear? What does it take for Ole Miss to get over the top? Um, Jackson Dart is going to be coming back next year. Uh, you got Quinshot Judkins that will be back next year. They're going to have to get better on the offensive line for sure. They they were hurt by depth there this past year. And then defensively, they just haven't been uh, good enough to, to beat these elite programs in the last couple of years, even when they've been very, very good uh, in terms of the team standard and the overall record. Defensively, they have to become – uh, more sound against the run, and they also have to be a team that that has more depth on that defensive side. Lane Kiffin, known as the Portal King, I'm sure he'll go out and try to get as much talent as he possibly can packed into that roster. He said that they have to recruit better, um, but I think a lot of that is him talking about, hey, they need more funds to recruit with, as is the story for most teams out here that are trying to catch Georgia and Alabama and now also Texas coming into the league, Oklahoma, in terms of a resource standpoint. South Carolina, uh, disappointing loss to Clemson. Uh, Shane Beamer continues to – he goes out in his press conference. He's crying and sobbing and all this kind of stuff. And it eventually, it's like the the boy that cried wolf, right? Uh, nobody cares. Nobody cares uh, with the tears and stuff like that when, when it's constantly there. Grow up, mature, get a little bit of a – steady leadership to your program if you're crying all the time win or lose if you're you know getting getting snarky and vindictive when things go well nobody cares Shane Beamer has so much about him that is good in terms of about how he approaches a life how he loves on his family loves on his program there's a lot of great stuff about him he's a joyful guy but he is like this, a roller coaster up and down of emotions. 
And I don't think that you can lead a program effectively and tell young men, hey, don't get too high, don't get too low, um, you know, stay in the moment, overcome adversity, all that kind of stuff, when you just are a emotional train wreck most of the time. And I think that he's done, uh, you know, outside of a couple wins there in 2022 with Tennessee and Clemson, it's just been a underwhelming tenure for for Shane Beamer. I think there's a lot of pressure on them next year. I think defensively they were horrible. Um, I think offensive line-wise it was a, a dereliction of duty in terms of the amount of the lack of talent that they brought in and tried to fortify that offensive line with. Spencer Rattler played way better than – than what uh, I think many thought he would and, and what he deserved way better than what he got uh, with that, that terrible offensive line in front of him. So I think South Carolina has got a long way to go. A lot of people like the the direction for some reason that they're going with recruiting and things like that. You go look at the recruiting rankings, it's still uh, 10th, 11th in the SEC, even if it's in a good place in the country. So, yeah, you may be in a top 25 class or whatever, but you're still falling behind it, by wide margin to some of the programs out there. I think they're going to have to be aggressive in the portal. They're going to have to hope that the seller's kid hits at quarterback next year and the dual threat thing works out for them. So we'll see. Uh, I'm not high on South Carolina. I think Shane Beamer's got to get his emotions in check. And I think that he's got to, uh, you know, just have a great off season in order to put themselves in position. They didn't make a bowl game. Uh, they they lose out on uh, on on those fifteen practices, um, and now they don't get to develop some of these younger kids that uh, they're really going to be looking forward to taking next step. So they'll have to just get get into their off season program, and we'll see where where things lead. But I I'm not very high on South Carolina at all, and I think we learned that once again. I just don't think uh, Shane Beamer is a steady leader of this program. I think he, I don't know if he needs to go get his hormones checked or what, but it's not good right now. And I think, uh, I think South Carolina has a lot of work to do as a program going forward. Tennessee, uh, they beat up on Vanderbilt. That's all you really have to say there. Listen, this was just a, about the year that we expected, uh, for, for Tennessee. Um, there was going to be a regression for Tennessee, losing the amount of talent going, from a you know 10 win team 11 wins counting the bowl game last year uh to back to an eight win team joe milton was just not the quarterback that tennessee needed this year um you know didn't wasn't consistent enough but lots of us said that going into the year lots of us said hey he's not going to be consistent uh, and you're going to have to live with some ups and downs from joe milton there were times where the running game disappeared on them this year um, against against Florida, against Georgia. Uh, they just weren't able to, to run the football the way they needed to to you know make Josh Heupel's offense go. It's predicated on getting the run game going, and then that's when the shots come, the shot plays come uh, once they have that tempo rolling and they get you out of position. They're able to hit the shots over the top. So Tennessee, I think uh, you know now now we are at the question here. Okay, it's year three with Heupel. He kind of peaked early at UCF, and things were on the downslide uh, in year three. Is this the same thing at Tennessee? Is he going to be able to pull the nose up? We'll see. Does It's all going to be dependent on is Nico that guy? Is Nico Amaliva the, the guy that they think he is at quarterback? Uh, can they get a couple more talented receivers? They, they were hurt with some depth there at receiver this year. 
with, you know, Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman being gone. And now uh, you got to bring in, you know, you guys and, and guys that are going to produce a little bit better than, than R- Ramel Keaton and Squirrel White and, and, you know, had lost Brew McCoy throughout the year, uh, in the middle of the year. So we'll see if they're able to fortify the weapons around Nico uh, and see what happens there. But Josh Hypo, a lot of pr- lot to prove, um, a lot to prove going forward in year four there in Knoxville. <clears throat> Texas A&M, we already talked a little bit earlier about the, the Mark Stoops saga and what happens, but they get Mike Elko regardless of how it happened. Hopefully all that can be, you know, there there won't be infighting in the program and maybe they'll get aligned. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, Auburn kind of uh, went from being a train wreck uh, with the whole dissension among the ranks and the decision-making on Harson and all that kind of stuff. And then now they appear to be aligned under Hugh Freeze. Hopefully for Mike Elko's sake, that is the same uh, situation there at Texas A&M. I think he he knows the area, of course, as a former defensive coordinator there for Texas A&M, and I think he'll have uh, a obviously tremendous recruiting base uh, right around him to be able to to pull from. He's a program builder. I said, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I said Mike Elko is the guy they need to go get. He knows that program. He knows that area. Uh, he's a hard nosed guy. And I think he builds a culture and a program um, in the way that Texas A&M needs it. it. It's not a lot of flash. It's not a lot of, uh, you know, just trying to – not a lot of pomp and circumstance, but it's guys who are going to be blue-collar. They're going to be disciplined. They're going to come play. And I think a lot of their success uh, in that run, you know, they had in 2020 there is due him and his – his defensive uh, scheme underneath him. And I think he'll do a good job of utilizing that talent they have and building upon that. So Mike Elko, I like the hire. Um, my only question is, if you like Mike Elko, why did you not like Mark Stoops? And, you know, what are the boosters doing by listening to fans? And if that is true, then that is kind of disappointing. Vanderbilt is still Vanderbilt. They continue to just not have any talent. Uh, they continue to not have any support from the administration. Uh, outside of building some new facilities here, and even that has been a garbacle. So I don't know that what what we can say about Vandy. Uh, real quick on the programs coming in, Texas, they get to play in the Big 12 championship game. Oklahoma would have gotten there uh, if Oklahoma State would have lost, so there would have been the rematch there, and you would have had two future SEC teams playing in the Big 12 championship, which would have been hilarious. Um, but Texas now is playing in the Big 12 championship game against Oklahoma State. If they win, I think they've got a real good shot at making the playoff. I, I really do. Uh, I think you'll probably see Texas, if if Texas and Alabama were both to win, who knows uh, what will happen there. All chaos is going to go forward, but – I think Texas, uh, you know, is in a really good spot with Sark and that program. Uh, they've they've built they've built it well in recruiting, and it's now starting to play play out play itself out on the field. And then Oklahoma, Brent Venables loses Jeff Levy as offensive coordinator to uh, to Mississippi State. How will he replace him? Who will he go with? And and uh, that's a big deal coming into the SEC. Uh, losing your your offensive coordinator, I think he would have loved that keep Jeff Levy there, but, you know, such is life when you're a major college football coach and you're at a big program, you're going to lose your coordinators to other opportunities, and uh, they'll have to fortify that going forward and definitely will want to negate some of those lapses that they had this year because they they could have been in a position right there, especially with that win over Texas, to uh, be in the CFP conversation themselves, but just didn't play well against, against a couple of teams that they should have beat. 
Now let's talk about it. Alabama and Georgia. I don't think you can take anything from the last two games, that uh, the last games that these two teams played. Uh, the Iron Bowl is the Iron Bowl. Alabama, of course, uh, probably should have lost that game, but they pulled it out of the fire at the end, and it is another just tremendous Iron Bowl chapter um, in that in that saga between those two hated rivals. And then you talk about Georgia with Georgia Tech. Uh, Buster Faulkner threw everything but the kitchen sink at Georgia, uh, knew that scheme inside and out. Uh, I've been there with them the last three years, knew what Glenn Schumann liked, didn't like, uh, what gives them trouble, things like that, and they exploited it a little bit. So it's kind of good for both teams that they were tested. I think uh, Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, if you ejected truth, truth serum into their veins, they would say that they couldn't be any happier with how things turned out because they now have something to coach their team on all week. There's no complacency that can creep in. Uh, if both of them went out there and won by 40, I think both of them would be nervous as a – you know, as long tail cats in a room full of rocking chairs um, because they wouldn't have a, the ability to. These are 18 to 23, 24 year olds, depending on the COVID year and all that kind of stuff. These are still young men. Their brains aren't fully developed. And, uh, you know, you're you're having to go in there and, and then play psychologist half the time and convince them of, hey, you're not as good as you think you are. We've got this to work on, that to work on. Well, when you have a game where it's evident that you have stuff to work on, where the other team had ample success, then it's easier to go about things. So I think Alabama and Georgia are both right in the in the same spot psychologically going into this one. So that'll be interesting. I think both of them are getting pretty healthy. Uh, Georgia rested some guys. I think you'll see, you know, Brock Bowers, Ladd McConkey, Tate Ratledge. All these guys, who knows about Ra Ra Thomas, but definitely Bowers, McConkey, and Ratledge, I think will all go uh, in this game against Alabama. I think you'll see uh, an Alabama team that is kind of uh, playing with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder because I think everybody's going to, um, you know, pick Georgia. And I think everybody's going to think that Georgia should win this football game and is overall the better team. But Georgia has also uh, played with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. This year as well, people doubting Carson Beck, people doubting Mike Bobo until they got in this, you know, about the middle of the season and said, hey, you know what, we're going to uh, we're going to show people that there's a reason that, uh, you know, we have the, the the roles and the responsibilities that we have here at Georgia and they've played extremely well. I think it's going to be interesting to see can Alabama consistently stop uh, Georgia's offense? Can they get pressure on Carson Beck? Um, Georgia has done a tremendous job of protecting him all year, only giving up nine sacks on over 500 pass attempts. And then you're talking about Alabama, who the offense has just steadily come along. I don't think the offense is fixed, but I think their defense uh, at times has played at an elite level. What Auburn does is totally different. Auburn hurt both of these teams defensively, so I think you kind of throw that one out the window um, because they, they do some different stuff in terms of their run scheme and their run design that neither Georgia or Alabama is going to do to the other one. So this is going to be a bare-knuckle fight. You're going to see in the trenches right here two programs that are uh, one that is clinging to former supremacy and trying to uh, get back in saying, hey, we, we still are the team to beat here in the SEC, and Georgia who's trying to submit uh, a just – unbelievable run here and go for its 30th straight victory and how apropos would that be against Alabama 
the last team to beat them. Also, Alabama. Listen, guys, Alabama has never lost in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Yeah, you heard me that. You heard me right on that. Seven and zero, never lost in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Georgia is a five-point favorite in this game. Over under fifty-six. It's going to be the four o'clock kick for the SEC championship there on CBS. The last one we'll see on CBS. So enjoy that as well. And guys, it's going to be fun to watch these two teams, the teams that we uh, kind of thought all year long. Except I'll admit, I thought LSU wouldn't be just absolutely terrible on defense, and I thought they'd have a chance to be in this game. Um, But Georgia, Alabama, the matchup we've waited on for quite a while now, it's going to be fun to see. But I think what we learned about these two programs is that they're definitely the most talented in the SEC. They've played like it all year, and now it's going to come down to 60 minutes of who can execute the best and who can uh, play the mistake-free football for a full preview on that, predictions on that. Make sure you're right here on the channel. That's coming out later today. So like, subscribe, turn on notifications. Remember, guys, we're presented by Bet Online. Thank you so much for tuning in here to the What We Learned uh, episode here on Southeastern 14 of the SEC Morning Report. I'm Blaine Gilmer. You can follow me on X using bgilmer18. You can follow the channel using at 14 Southeastern. Thank you so much for tuning in. Like I said, uh, do all that good stuff. Like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and we'll catch you next time right here on Southeastern 14. 